We started on our journey together with a paranormal investigation at Eloise Asylum. We left the asylum eager to learn the truth. We bought our own equipment and decided to document our findings. And we're here to share them with you. I'm Melissa. I'm Mandy. Welcome to our paranormal experience. hope that you love creepy history just as much as I do, because the Ohio State Reformatory has tons of creepy history. Today, we're going to tell you the history of the Reformatory, followed by a review of the paranormal investigation that me and Mandy joined there. The Reformatory was built between the years of 1886 and 1910. The reason it took so many years to complete the facility was due to money. They ran out of money, and to complete it, they had to implement a whiskey tax to raise the remaining funds. The land that the reformatory was built on was previously used as a Civil War training camp. It was 180 acres, and the facility cost $1,326,769. That's a lot of whiskey money in the late 1800s, early 1900s. The facility was designed by architect Levi T. Schofield, who was from Cleveland. He designed the reformatory with German castles in mind, and it is a beautiful castle-like structure. I mean, if you look up a picture of this place, it is, you, you can't use any other word but like grand and just massive. It is huge and it is beautiful. He used three architectural styles, Victorian Gothic, Richardsonian Romanesque, and Queen Anne. His goal was to encourage inmates to be reborn into their spiritual lives. The facility was originally named the Intermediate Penitentiary. It was intended as a halfway point between the Boys Industrial School in Lancaster and the State Penitentiary in Columbus. The goal was to reform first-time offenders. The first 150 offenders were brought by train in 1910 from Columbus. Because the facility was not yet complete, the inmates worked on the sewer system and the 25-foot stone wall surrounding the facility. The first inmates to the facility were in for offenses such as robbery, horse theft, burglary, grand larceny, concealing stolen property, pickpocketing, assault to rob, bigamy, assault to rape, and at least one is listed as for being a tramp. The goal of the facility was to reform the religion, education, and trade. They were initially given an 18-month reform period in the facility, and if the rehabilitation was deemed a success, they were released. If not, the inmates received another 18 months. Overall, it was seen as successful, the incidences of offenders reoffending was very small. 1930, one of the worst prison disasters in America happened. Not at the Ohio State Reformatory, though. It was at the Ohio State Penitentiary. The Ohio State Penitentiary was built to hold 1,500 inmates. But on April 21, 1930, the prison held around 4,300 inmates, and a fire broke out on the scaffolding. 
The cell block that held the prisoners that was adjacent to the scaffolding had 800 prisoners, and they were all begging to be released from the cells that they had been locked into for the night. I can't even imagine the horror of a fire breaking out and being locked behind a cell door. Reports claim that prisoners were not just kept locked in their cells, but the guards were still placing other inmates into their cells after the fire started. The fire spread on the roof. Two prisoners took matters into their own hands and forcefully took the keys from a guard and started rescuing other inmates. Unfortunately, the roof ended up caving in on the upper cells, resulting in 160 inmates burning to death. It is said that some of the guards did try to save the inmates, but a riot still ensued. Firefighters could not even get to the fire to put it out because the inmates were throwing rocks at them. It was chaos. 320 inmates died that day, and over 100 were injured. And this resulted in the inmates being transferred to the Ohio State Reformatory. I mean, they had to put them somewhere. The Ohio State Reformatory was no longer just an intermediate prison. It just became an involuntary maximum security prison. And the Ohio State Reformatory was no stranger to violence and death. Even before the prison fire at the Ohio State Penitentiary causing that transfer of those prisoners... In 1926, a paroled inmate, Philip Orlick, returned to the prison and attempted to escape. During his escape, he shot and killed a 72-year-old prison guard, Urban Wilford. He was sentenced to death and was electrocuted in the electric chair at the Ohio State Penitentiary. On October 2, 1932, 12 prisoners attempted to escape the reformatory. Two of the inmates, Merrill Chandler and Chester Proboski, beat 48-year-old prison guard Frank Hanger to death with an iron bar. They were also sentenced to death by execution and electrocuted in 1935. The darkest story of all started at the Ohio State Reformatory, but ended outside the grounds. It was July 21, 1948, when two former inmates of the reformatory, John West and Robert Daniels, kidnapped the farm superintendent, his wife, and their 20-year-old daughter. West and Daniels became known as the Mad Dogs after murdering the entire family in a cornfield off Fleming Falls Road. They then went on a two-week crime spree, leaving six people dead. They were found, resulting in a shootout that left West dead and Daniels was sentenced to death and executed in the electric chair. A tragic accident in November of 1950 left the warden's wife dead. She was looking in a closet for her jewelry box, and upon pulling it out, she knocked the warden's service revolver out of its hiding place. The gun hit the ground, went off, and shot her. She died in the hospital from pneumonia a week later. A few years later, the warden would pass away from a heart attack while sitting in his office, leaving their children parentless, but they still have fond memories of life growing up at the reformatory. The prison had become overcrowded, and two men were placed in the same cell down in solitary confinement. One man killed the other, stuffing the body under the bunk. At least one inmate hung himself in a cell 
and another took a darker path to suicide. He swiped an accelerant, probably while he was on work detail, and told the guards that he didn't want to go down to dinner with the other inmates that day. They left him alone in his cell, where he doused himself with the accelerant and set himself aflame. What a horrible way to go. Because of the overcrowding and deteriorating conditions, the inmates filed a lawsuit in the 1980s, which concluded that the Ohio State Reformatory was no longer fit to be used as a prison. This led to the prison's closure in 1990. They constructed a new facility, the Mansfield Correctional Institute, which stands behind the reformatory grounds to this very day. The building was set to be demolished, but the movie Shawshank Redemption wanted the beautiful historic building for filming. The building is not only beautiful, it actually holds the tallest freestanding cell block in the world. Strangely, the cell blocks from the Ohio State Reformatory were not used in the film. The facility was turned over to a preservation society, and the building has been used for more than just the Shawshank Redemption. The building has appeared in Harry and Walter Go to New York, Tango and Cash, and Air Force One. Many music videos have used the facility as well. The Preservation Society offers day tours, paranormal tours, and even an inmate-led tour. They also host a haunted attraction every Halloween. The proceeds from the tours go to building maintenance, which is still much needed and ongoing. It's said to be one of the most haunted places in Ohio. So if you're looking for some history and possibly ghosts, the Ohio State Reformatory is a great place to visit. Me and Mandy decided to do just that. We drove out there. We're in Michigan. It's in Ohio. It's a two and a half hour drive. And this was the 17th of July, so it had been raining. There was so much flooding, so much flooding in Michigan, so much flooding in Ohio. We were kind of nervous to drive out there, or at least I was. Yeah, I was too. Um, I think Melissa was a little bit more nervous, probably because she's smarter about me than those things. But um, the freeway was fine. We took the turnpike, and that was fine, but... When we got on the smaller back roads, there was flooding. When you don't know where you're at and it, you've got to turn around and it's it's a little nerve-wracking, I think. I was totally afraid that we were going to end up like accidentally driving through water. You know how sometimes you can't see it. It kind of blends in with the road. Yeah. It's like reflective and you could accidentally drive into it. And we're like two and a half hours from home and like nobody wants to get their car towed that far. You know, a lot of times you can get through, but it was really deep in spots. On the way home, actually, we saw a spot that was like closed off. And it said if you drove through it, you would get a $2,000 fine. So these were definitely like bigger flooded areas. We had to turn around. Our GPS had to reroute. And it was a little bit nerve wracking, but we made it in time. Just to backtrack just a second, though, I think we should talk about some of the houses and people that we encountered on our drive. There was one little boy that we saw at the end of the driveway. He was in old-timey overalls, and I think he had a little wagon. And he was just, like, walking up the driveway He was that. too little to be out there at the end of the driveway by himself. So we kind of chuckled, like, oh, maybe it's a ghost, but... Right, just wearing totally old-timey, old-timey clothing. And we thought, you know, it would it would be more, like, a better explanation if it was Sunday... You know, and he, he had been to church service or something like that, but 
Yeah, it was just it was it was like little creepy, and it was like in the middle of all these cornfields. So yeah, you know, children, children of the children corn. Of the corn. <laughs> there were a lot of cemeteries. Like once we got off the turnpike, and I thought that those were really cool. You know, not fenced in or anything like that. Just really big old like cemeteries, like on small little hills, and a lot of creepy looking houses. Driving up to the reformatory was really cool because all of a sudden there was just this gigantic building in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, the architecture is just beautiful. It looks like a castle. It's just a really grand big building. And there was tons of people standing outside waiting for their tour. Yeah, I was amazed uh, when we first pulled up too. It was like a castle. It it looked almost magical, fairy tale-ish, if that's a word. It can be. <laughs> so just very, very beautiful and just very you feel kind of like in awe when you're when you're standing in front of it. And there was like a little like gate type thing or like cell piece or something that they have in front, which I believe was a prop from when they filmed Air Force One. So me and Mandy took our selfie in front of it. You know, it was just really neat. The Outside of the building, we walked around and looked at it. It has, like, you know, bricks with people's names engraved into them. I say bricks, but these are, like, large cinder blocks. It's very beautiful. Yeah, the, you know, land. Oh, the landscaping the is landscaping, definitely really beautiful. pretty. Yeah, everything was beautiful. When you walk into the building, it's still really beautiful. I mean, it's it's big and it's grand. And once you get past that, though... Things turn a little bit different. Yeah, it definitely it's it's neat how it transitioned from this grand, you know, wood and you know all of this architecture to now you're in a prison, a prison, an abandoned old rusted prison cells and peeling paint, peeling paint, um, old beds that are still in there, toilets that are still in there. You know, they divided us into two groups because I guess a lot of people probably return there just to do the paranormal. It's not really – they're not really doing a tour. They're just there to ghost hunt. So we wanted to do the tour, so we lined up in the area of people that wanted to do the tour. And our tour guide took us in, and the tour did not last as long as I would have liked, but it was still really nice. Yeah, I agree. It wasn't like when we went to Eloise, you know, the tour was the majority of the night. When we did the Eloise tour, that was the first time I had done anything like that. So I guess that was the only experience that I had to base it off of. But here it was just structured a little bit different. We went in and the tour guide talked to us about different things that they had. Like the the beginning of the tour was kind of like a museum. They had different things under glass made by the prisoners and whatnot. My favorite and the creepiest part was the electric chair. Um, It was not ever used at the Ohio State Reformatory. It actually came from Columbus. But there were 315 executions in that chair from 1897 until 1963. And they claim that there's a lot of paranormal activity like around the chair, Just, you know, outside the door. Because they've kind of built like a separate area for it because it doesn't really belong there. But it's really cool to see. It was definitely cool to see and I guess a little bit morbid to look at. 
Yeah. But still fascinating. My my son thought it was interesting to see. And they had straight jackets and shackles. The mask that they put over your face when they electrocute you. And they actually had like a little diagram thing showing how the electric chair worked, which was kind of neat. We then went upstairs and onto a couple of floors, and the tour guide gave us a really fast tour. And I have some audio clips from that tour, and I'm going to put them in now. But one thing I wanted to show you was the infamous chair room, which is right here. Legend has it, if you put a chair in the middle of the room, shut the door, come back a couple minutes or a couple hours later, the chair will be in another part of the room. I've never seen that happen. But I've also seen people that have gotten scratched and a lot of EVPs in this room. Why? I have no clue. There's no windows in here. It was just a storage area. But for some reason, there's a lot of activity traditionally here in this room. On the second level is where the Warden's family will live at. The last family to live here on the premises was the Glackey family. Um, Mr. and Mrs. Glackey had two kids, Art and Ted. And they were over from, from they met in Toledo, moved here, and um, they lived here for the latter part of about nine years. Their boys, um, Art and Ted, Art passed away a couple years ago from cancer, and then Ted still lives in Arizona. We still talk to him on Facebook a lot. They've shared a lot of wonderful information regarding what it was like growing up here. For example, um, Art was shown how to drive a stick shift from a guy who was the uh, getaway driver at, bank, at a bank robbery in Cleveland, no joke. Um, they used to tell us that their mom used to brew beer down in the basement. God bless her for doing that. Um, and they had a lot of great memories here. This was their home. Um, but they had a lot of, I guess you can say, a lot of playmates to go play around with, um, i.e. trustees. Uh, unfortunately, both boys lost both parents here at the reformatory. Um, the first one to go was Mrs. Gladkey in 1951. She was getting a hat box out from her closet, and she accidentally hit her husband's service revolver. The revolver hit the floor, and it went off, shot herself in the chest. Um, she died over Mansfield Hospital about a week later from pneumonia. The reason why we know that is because that's what she told the nurses and the doctors there what happened while she was recovering. And then in 59, Mr. Glackey had a massive heart attack in the room that you guys walked into to go to the electric chair room. That was where Mr. Glackey had his heart attack in 59. So both boys pretty much were raised by foster parents here in the area until they went to college. But they have great memories of their mom and dad living here in the reformatories. So as you can hear, the tour guide had some really cool stories, but it was it did feel really rushed. It was a really quick tour. I think the tour lasted about an hour total. The entire paranormal investigation was eight hours. When the tour was about to end, one thing that I thought was really, I want to say like overwhelming, but in a good way, it was really like magnificent walking down the metal stairs along the cell block. This penitentiary has two cell blocks, an east and a west wing. One of the cell blocks is the tallest freestanding cell block in the world. And it stands six cells high. So they kind of took us up a different way and through the chapel, but then kind of just took us down this metal great stairway that went along these freestanding cell blocks. And it was definitely neat. What did you think about that, Mandy? It was neat. And I think just going 
up the or down the metal stairs like that really gave you an idea of how how big it was. Um, I think just standing and looking at it, it looks tall, but when you're walking those steps, and the steps they seem treacherous. They're not. They're very safe, but they they look scary. They're creaky. I mean, this is old. And there it was is. lots of people on these stairs. <laughs> yeah, and they, they didn't budge, but they're kind of steep in a way. I mean, not too steep, but just steep enough to where, like, I could picture myself, like, tripping and falling. Yeah, <laughs> and you definitely just... wanted to hold onto the rail. So after the tour was over, we just had free reign to roam for seven entire hours. And at first... We really felt lost, or at least I felt lost. Did you feel lost? I did feel a little bit lost, yeah. Just turned around and... You know, once it started getting dark, I think even more... We did end up asking for a map, which helped tremendously. During this journey, we did find some maps and kind of like a lunchroom type thing. You know, they had instructions to stick a pin on wherever you're from, and this thing was full of pins. So people from all over the world have come and visited the reformatory. And we thought that that was kind of interesting and neat to see. The states that were closest to the reformatory, you wouldn't even be able to fit another pin in there. It was so packed. There was like a map of Ohio. There was a map of the United States. And there was a map of the world. And they all had a lot of pins in them. Then me and Mandy headed up to the fourth cell block cell 13, which is a cell that an inmate had set themselves on fire in to commit suicide. They skipped breakfast that morning, doused themselves in accelerant, and lit a match. We took out our new paranormal equipment that we've acquired. We have like a, a little bear, and if something touches it, it will make a noise. We have an EMF reader. We had a digital audio recorder. We had cat toys that are balls that will light up if you touch them. So if, like, if it rolls, it lights up when it rolls. So we took out all of our paranormal equipment and we sat in the cell. And the cells were really small. And it really seems insane to think that like two people were living their lives in there at one point. I mean, I've never been in a prison before. And there's not like mattresses or whatever they use, like cot type mattresses on top of, you know, the bed frames anymore. So we just kind of sat as best as we could in there. And, you know, we put out our bear and our toy, you know, all of the equipment that we had, you know, to see if we could make contact with anything. And unfortunately, there was nothing. We did not capture anything. We were even curious to think that possibly we were in the wrong cell. But we did notice that it looked like the ceiling had been replaced in that cell. Because all of the other ceilings, the paint was peeling really bad, and this one wasn't. So that gave us an indication as well that the ceiling had probably been replaced due to the fire. And I and I didn't tell you this, Mandy, but I did also double check when we got home. Like I looked it up and it, it was the right cell. We were in the right cell. But it was still really interesting to spend time this, you know, historical cell where these things happened. And it was super creepy leaving the cell because it had gotten kind of dark by then. And we're, you're walking on a concrete walkway, in this case, four cells up in the air. 
I've never walked on a concrete walkway like raised in the air before. And it's all surrounded by like metal grate. It was dark and there's no, no lights on whatsoever in this part of the prison. It definitely was creepy. I was thankful for the bars that were on the side of it. So you didn't feel like you were going to fall off. But you could still definitely tell that you were up high. It was narrow, very narrow. If you stood back on the end of the row and took a picture and just looked down the whole row, I guess you'd call it, it seemed to go on forever in the dark. Then me and Mandy headed up to, I think it was the library. And I mean, these rooms are basically just empty You know, they're full of peeling paint, but they did have, like, old magazines and things. And I found that interesting. I don't know why I like to look at old stuff that's left behind. Yeah, you did look through them a lot. I noticed, yeah. Yeah. I really like to look and see. Like, there was old um, JCPenney ads. I mean, you know, clothes that, like, literally looked like they were from the 80s, like, advertised in in these magazines and pictures, so... It was interesting that those just got left there. It was like a little time machine, I think. Hospital area is just kind of like open. And we did try to see if there was any paranormal activities in these areas as well. You know, the hospital I thought would be like a a good opportunity. We didn't get anything. Our EMF reader did not change the entire time. It did not. We played back our recordings and we didn't notice anything. I feel strongly that this kind of supports that our Eloise tour, that our experience that we had there was more genuine because we were carrying an EMF reader and it was fluctuating. When I was looking at it, I thought, well, I don't really know because I'm not too familiar with this type of thing. You know, it's something I've said before. I don't know how much this should be fluctuating like naturally, or if it should be fluctuating naturally. I mean, it wasn't going up to like a high reading, but it was definitely moving. I realize now that there was no electricity whatsoever in Eloise. Like it wasn't just shut off. Like there is no electricity there. So it should not have been moving at all. And there is electricity at the Ohio State Reformatory. So there, I mean, there was a point where we were, we were near an electrical box and our EMF reader did pick that up. But without any electricity at Eloise, you know, it makes it seem more genuine. And we were, we were actually attempting to communicate with spirits at Eloise and our EMF reader was moving. So just, it very much makes it more genuine to me. I think that theory makes sense. As you're walking through, there's memorabilia from the movie, The Shawshank Redemption, you know, because it was filmed there. They didn't use the actual cell blocks that were there, but they used, you know, like the office parts of it, you know, other parts of the building. The part that really got me is the cardboard cutouts of the characters from the movie, and they are just placed intermittently throughout the prison. And when you are not expecting that to be there, especially as it gets dark and you just see an outline of something, I... I I liked it, but I also hated it, if that makes any sense. It definitely could be a little bit (laughs) nerve-wracking when you – and a lot of them are, like, in doors and stuff. So it's like you turn and it's like somebody's staring at you through the glass of a door and then you're like, oh, my God, it's a cardboard cutout. (laughs) 
And they had like a replica of the exposed beam or rafter Brooks had hung himself from in the movie, you know, that he carved his name on. It says Brooks was here. So that was kind of interesting. During the daytime tour that me, Jeff, and Timmy went to, they had many more open areas with like memorabilia. There was even a TV that was playing like a clip from the Shawshank Redemption that I think was filmed in that room. There was just, there was different open areas. Now, when me and you went, Mandy, we got to see the attic. That was not open during our daytime tour. I, I did like the attic, even though nothing happened. I mean, I think attics in general, they're a little scary. Yeah, we went up there and there was like people sitting in circles and chairs. I mean, it almost looked like people were having like little seances or something, I thought. But it seemed a little bit dangerous because the drywall was, I don't know that it's drywall, but you know, whatever's on a ceiling, the drywall was coming down and it was like hanging and it looked like it could kind of fall. It definitely <laughs> looked like it could fall. But that area was closed during the daytime tour. I mean, which makes sense. And on both tours, we were able to see the solitary confinement area, which is just, I can't imagine living living my life in there, even being in there for like 24 to 48 hours. It really interesting. It, it was interesting, but in a weird way, I think I made a joke about this when we were there. Like, I would almost want to go to solitary because you wouldn't have to have a roommate. When we were there for the daytime tour, me and Timmy were like playing in the cells and Jeff had made the comment of, well, you'd want to sleep with your head at this end toward the door in case the guy that you're in here with had to use the bathroom. That's a good point. It definitely would be interesting, like solitary confinement versus, you know, the regular cells being alone or... I was surprised. I had a different idea in my head of what solitary confinement was like. I imagined a room with no outside light at all coming in. And even though it was partially underground, there were windows in the... The aisles. Right. Kind of like basement windows. Yeah. They're like up high against the ceiling. So they're only kind of like a small window, but they're still there. Right. And all of the cells didn't have like the thick door. Some of the cells had the thick door where like, you know, it didn't have bars. You couldn't put your hand through. It just was just a, a small solid window. Door. But not all the cells were like that. A lot of them actually had like regular bars and didn't really seem as, you know, solitary confinement-ish. Right, those ones weren't as closed off. Like, being in one of those ones, I think, would be way better. I don't know if there was, like, different levels of solitary confinement, you know, if it just depended on, like, what you had done. But definitely different, a few different types of cells down there. During the paranormal tour, me and Mandy were able to go into the basement. Which I'm surprised we didn't trip. It was a kind of a mess down there. <laughs> It was it was interesting, but it was definitely a mess. I mean, it is an old basement. But strangely enough, when you get to the other side of it, it's called the basement. And we were not allowed to access this area during the daytime tour. There was some sort of door that looked like it led to the outside. So I don't know if we were actually underground at that point or maybe partially. Right. I know I've been in um, basements before, like, for example, a house in Alabama that I had went out into one time. The house was built in a hill, so the basement 
was underground, but then you could still get into the basement from the outside. Right. And we didn't actually see that side of the building because there's actually an active prison still behind the Ohio State Reformatory. So you cannot like go around that side of the building. You cannot take pictures on that side of the building. You cannot go to the Ohio State Reformatory Cemetery. They told you you will be arrested immediately, that there are cameras and there are guards, and they are used to this, and they are waiting to arrest someone. So Which we is did sad. not take those chances. <laughs> we did not, but it's a little disappointing. But when we were down in the basement, there was like a big cell, and that was the hole. And when I say big, I mean, it's not – it wasn't – Really, it wasn't any bigger than the others, but it I guess it looked big to me because it was like standalone, but it was just one standalone cell at the very, very back of the basement. Since it was standalone, I think it seemed more just like a large cage. And we did set up our paranormal equipment right there too. Right, I got something and unfortunately we didn't get anything. But we did go outside for a little while just to, I mean, it was hot in there. It was like a 90 degree day and it was humid because it had been raining and raining. And so we just went outside a few times just to cool off. And there was a girl who came outside who was visibly upset. She seemed to be in late teens, early 20s, which is I think Melissa? so, yeah. Um, she was with what I assumed was her mother and another adult lady. I kind of thought maybe her aunt. Her aunt, something like that. Um, this girl was hyperventilating. She was standing with her hands on her knees, gasping for breath. One of the workers was outside and went up to them and the mother said she's okay she just got scared and we're gonna leave immediately the only thing we could get out of it was that she got scared in the shower rooms she did not want to stay there any longer you could tell that in order to get out of the building you had to actually go back inside from this break area and go through the building to go out to the parking lot She seemed visibly shaken to even go back in the building. We did kind of try to eavesdrop and figure out. We did. We did want to ask. We felt really rude. We felt bad for her. But we did kind of want to know. I mean, it's what we're there for, right? So since we overheard that it was in the shower room, we headed to the shower room. Right. Guess where we went. (laughs) So there's actually two shower rooms, one for each cell block. And we don't know which one she had her experience in. So we went to, I believe, the West cell block first. It's just kind of like a big open area. There were already people in there just like sitting and, you know, probably audio recording. And we felt a little bit like we were going to break their silence. Like it felt kind of tense in there. You could cut the silence with a knife. I didn't even notice the people at first, and I think I came in talking in a normal voice and then felt like a a kid in school, like when you're talking when you're not supposed to. We waited. Eventually, they left, and we put our equipment out, and, you know, we recorded and, you know, tried to ask questions, and really, we just didn't get anything. So we headed on over to the other shower room, and it's a little bit different a little bit longer. It's really weird to walk into a big shower room like that and think, oh my God, like a hundred men were showering in here (laughs) all together at one point. 
we didn't get anything in that shower room either. For some reason, the second shower room was way creepier to me. I don't know if it was because maybe it was it was empty. No one was in there. Uh, it just seemed creepier to me. Since you went to both the paranormal and the daytime tour, which one did you like better? I mean, they were both really cool. I think that if you have a chance and you're in that area, you should definitely take both tours. They were different. The paranormal tour... You know, there were some things blocked off, which is totally understandable because, I mean, people would vandalize them, you know, in the dark. I mean, there's hardly anybody in there um, or steal things. But the daytime tour, I did like it. You know, it was more history based. You know, you can rent an audio wand. There's little numbers all over the building and you can put the numbers into the audio wand and it tells you the facts about that area. There was more museum items. There was actually one whole wing that was a museum that me and Mandy didn't get to see because it was closed off for the paranormal tour. And it really didn't have much to do with the prison. It was just kind of old timey stuff. But me, Jeff and my son all really enjoyed it. But in the paranormal tour, you got to see the attic, you got to see the basement, definitely felt like we had free reign over the reformatory for many, many hours. Obviously, I didn't do both tours, but the paranormal tour, we had pizza. It was good pizza, not the cheap kind, actually good. Um, there was endless pop and water throughout the night. You know, there was always a spot to go rest. I think they called it the bullpen. Yeah. And that was like a nicer room, and it was air-conditioned. It was air-conditioned. Which was really important. It was definitely important, and the staff was very friendly, and I just felt like anytime we needed refreshments, there was always something. I had to make a recommendation. I mean, the paranormal tour is definitely a little bit more expensive. It's a lot more time. Um, All the money that you spend on the paranormal tour actually goes toward the building, we were told. You know, that they're they're trying to make some repairs and and keep up the building. It's a really old building and it, it does need a lot of them. So you know that your money is going somewhere important, saving history. So if I had to recommend a tour, I would actually recommend people do both tours. But if you just did the daytime tour really cool as well. And it's self-paced too. So you can kind of spend as long as you want in there. So at the end of the night when we were leaving, the drive home was a little bit creepy. We had just, you know, went on this paranormal tour and even though nothing happened, it was still an old creepy building. It was dark out, you know, it had been raining. So there were still water spots. It was like 2 a.m. Definitely not the right time of night for two women to be driving in the middle of nowhere. So as we're driving, and you have to keep in mind that we both, because we listen and Melissa does the True Crime podcast, I think our brains are always thinking the the worst. So as we're driving, come to a little intersection and there is this truck just parked on the opposite side of the road. Not on the side of the road, in the middle of the road right as before railroad tracks. toward us. Yes, as he was driving toward us. He was on his side, but the truck was literally stopped right before the railroad tracks. There was no lights on it. So it wasn't like they just stopped to, you know, look at their phone or whatever. It didn't look like it was turned on. The windows were fogged, which told me it had probably been sitting there a little bit, maybe. We drove by it. Melissa was driving. We drove by it really fast. 
we made sure that it did not turn around and follow us. I know. I was. <laughs> we drove up the road some, and I was like, "Don't worry." I made sure it didn't follow us. And Mandy was like, "I know. I watched you." <laughs> <laughs> I was totally creeped out. I felt like it was like a trap or something. In reality, it was probably like people sitting there with their car off. Maybe it was like a a road that wasn't used a lot and we didn't know that. They were like making out in there or something. I just feel like you would like pull to the side of the road. You would think because I was afraid they were going to get smashed into because they were literally right in the middle of their lane with their lights off. I, I felt like when we went past it, somebody was going to run out from behind it and, like, try to get us to stop or something. It totally Which felt we like wouldn't a trap. Have, we wouldn't have stopped. No. We would have just ran them over, I think. Yeah. <laughs> we would have had to. We just left a haunted prison. <laughs> <laughs> I would have called 911. And especially, too, like, being in the area of an active prison, too, you know. Right. There's an active That's prison true. right behind right. the Ohio State Reformatory. Very true. So there you have it. That's mine and Mandy's review on our trip to the Ohio State Reformatory. And even though we didn't get anything paranormal, we really, really enjoyed our visit. We definitely recommend that you take the tour if you can. And if you catch anything paranormal, give me and Mandy an email because we want to know about it. We came home empty handed. Definitely love to see some evidence from there. Yeah, I mean, people... I I mean, I've heard tons of people swear up and down that they've had tons and tons of experiences there. And I felt like the people that were coming in that didn't want the tour, that just were coming in to do their their own paranormal investigations, I feel like those were probably people that had gotten something there before. Yes, I agree. They seemed like they knew what they were doing. They seemed like they had gotten stuff before. And even a few of the people that we spoke to that night had said that they had gotten some stuff, so... I said that we came home empty-handed, but that was actually a lie. It was a couple days after we had gotten home. I had like this big bag with me, uh, you know, because I had all my my paranormal investigation stuff in there. And I carried it with me all night. And there was a couple times, you know, I got sick of carrying it. And I had gotten the stuff out of it and I set it down and whatnot. I was at Jeff's and I was making eggs. It was super early in the morning and I had a headache and I wanted some Motrin. I opened my bag and as soon as I opened it, out ran a spider bigger than a quarter. And so I'm pretty sure that came home with us from the Ohio State Reformatory. Which, if I had known that that thing was in the car while we were driving home... Oh, my God. Yeah, so every time I open my bag now, I remember that spider. (laughs) So even though me and Mandy didn't get any notable paranormal activity at the Ohio State Reformatory, we still had a great time. And we also think it's really important to note when we don't get paranormal activity somewhere. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.